Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Avengers, age of Ultron. Garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Den of Geek Presents Marvel Standom Live, where each week we give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings on in the MCU. Marvel Comics, and beyond. This week, we're going to be chatting about the latest episode of She-Hulk and looking ahead to Daredevil Born Again, which will once again star Mr. Charles Cox. Now, you may have noticed that I am not your usual host, Mike Cicchini. He is off this week following the Grateful Dead around on tour or whatever he said he was doing. I wasn't fully listening but that sounds accurate enough to me. With me this week, as always, is Den of Geek TV editor, Alec. You don't make friends with Salad Bajalad. I've also got two special guests along for the ride this week. The first is my Den of Geek son and a phenomenal pop culture writer. Please welcome back Fighting Joe George. And it gives me great pleasure to also have Marvel and DC writer extraordinaire Alex Packnagel on the show. Alex, how the devil are you? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Uh, just got back from a walk, uh, so a bit tired. Uh, I'll, I'll try and stay awake. I have coffee. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Fine. <laughs> well, Alex, for any of our viewers on Twitch or YouTube or our podcast listeners who may not be familiar with your output, can you please tell us a little bit about both your career and when your love of Marvel first began? Sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of my career, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I started sort of in earnest in about 2015. Uh, I had a book out through uh, Boom called Arcadia, and sort of slowly, slowly went pro uh, as I got a bit more confident. Um, last couple of years, started picking up a bit more kind of Marvel DC work. First Marvel work was part of the Empire crossover that um, uh, Al Ewing kind of masterminded. Uh, I got a, a Celestial Messiah one shot and a, and a Swordsman one shot. And it sort of spiraled from there. Like I've done a bunch of um, bunch of X Men Unlimited stuff, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, I've got some other longer form projects in train that I can't talk about just yet, but they're all very exciting. I just did some Batman work recently, and I'm working at the moment with um, uh, Matt Rosenberg on DC versus Vampires All Out War. For some reason, they tend to give me the weird stuff, which suits me down to the ground. They, 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 you know, so if they want a kind of Elseworldsy sort of story where you know Spider-Man ends up being sort of even more of a sad boy than usual, uh, they tend to give that to me. So that's great. <laughs> and I, I, the, the, the best thing I've worked on so far was I, I did a Hulk one shot, um, which was part of um, Al Al's Immortal Hulk run. Um, and I, I just, uh, you know, I was, I was just talking to Al kind of quite casually, and I just had this idea for a, a, a Stone Age Hulk, um, you know, that was part of his sort of immortal canon. Um, and he signed off on that, got in touch with uh, Will Moss and Sarah Bronstad. They, they, they let me run with it. 
Um, and yeah, I'm very proud of that. I think that's probably the best sort of mainstream work I've done so far. In terms of how I got my start, um, I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of second generation, really. Um, my dad was a big Marvel guy in the 70s. And so they were always in the house. Um, and I was sort of taught to read with these little with these uh, with, with these little sort of pocket books um, that um, you, they sort of, sort of contain the first sort of six issues of the sort of Kirby of the Kirby and Ditko runs. Um, and yeah, my dad my dad taught me to read with them. And um, but I think what really kind of got gave me the bug was um, the fact that it was kind of forbidden fruit, right? So. I had access to sort of my dad's treasury editions and little pocketbooks, but you know, the, um, Claremont Cochram X-Men's and the sort of Barry Windsor Smith Conan's were always in this sort of locked cupboard that I was, that I was never allowed to go into. Eventually I started breaking in. Um, and all of a sudden I sort of got this sense that it was like this illicit thing. Um, <laughs> and from that point on, yeah, I was absolutely hooked. So, uh, and yeah, the, 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 yeah, they've, they've, they've just been, been there forever really. Well, thanks for joining us today, Alex. Uh, we're delighted to have you. Before we get into it, we have a brief video from our sponsor to get through. This is a fun one, friends. Um, so collectors have been eagerly anticipating the day when CGC trading cards would start accepting Marvel cards. And that day is finally here. CGC Trading Cards, the world's leading third-party grading service for comic books, trading cards, magazines, concert posters, and more, is thrilled to announce that Marvel cards are now eligible for grading. Uh, submit your Marvel card collection to CGC Trading Cards today. CGC Trading Cards experts are looking forward to serving Marvel fans and collectors with a dependable certification process, including assurances that all cards are genuine, accurately graded, and well-preserved. Head to cgccards.com right now to learn more about how to submit your Marvel cards for expert grading. Thank you, Alec. You did really well. You may remember that last week we were chatting about who might be considered the face of the MCU post-Endgame with Spider-Man's future outside the Sony film somewhat uncertain. And the lads decided that Loki was probably the biggest fan favourite character. Mike also thought that if we polled our audience and asked them the same question, they would also pick Loki. And since I have nothing better to do on any day with a Y in it than prove Mike Cicchini wrong, we went ahead and did ask our followers across social media that very question. And the results are interesting. Uh, across Twitter, the face of the MCU and the biggest fan favorite was not Loki, but Wong, closely followed by Doctor Strange and then Thor. We also had some comments about the situation. Bjorn Granger said, I was expecting Black Panther and Captain Marvel to step into the Steve and Tony roles going forward. But Chadwick's passing and Carol being as absent as she has been, I honestly don't know. 
Phil Norris said, as it's the multiverse saga, then it has to be Doctor Strange as he's the only one so far to really have knowledge of it. That being said, Hulk and Thor are still going to be big players purely because they're the strongest. While Millie Wick said, Thor definitely the biggest fan favourite, but creatively the face of the MCU is now Doctor Strange. Over on Instagram, Doctor Strange was a clear winner, but he was closely followed by Sorcerer Supreme Wong yet again. Alex, I'll give you a chance to weigh in on this since you weren't with us last week. Who would be your pick as the current face of the MCU and the biggest fan favourite, do you think? Biggest fan favourite, I couldn't say, but I mean... For, for for sheer ubiquity, it's got to be Wong, right? Because Wong's just turning up at everything, which is which is great. It's interesting, isn't it? Because they're sort of they're, they're clearly sort of uh, cycling through the sort of legacy, that you know, the sort of first gen, uh, and and so I, you know, I mean, I, I know this sounds like I'm hedging. I am hedging, but I do one. <laughs> I I do wonder whether they're kind of waiting to see how it shakes out. Because you know they're very clearly teed up who the who the sort of the inheritors of various mantles are going to be, um, and I think it's going to be very sort of interesting to shake that to see how that shakes out. Because also, I, I mean, I mean, you know, nuts and bolts. I think um, again, I mean, I'm not privy to any of these conversations, but I suspect that the pandemic probably shook up quite a few of their plans because you know they were they were very linear, weren't they? I mean, like one division. I think, you know, was it Multiverse of Madness was going to be right after One Division and it ended up being a year later. And there was sort of, they had, so they had to sort of move a bunch of stuff around. And because I remember for a while it was going to be, okay, well, you know, Captain Marvel's going to be the linchpin. Oh no, Eternals is going to be the linchpin. Um, and it's it's been very interesting to see them, and impressive, frankly, to see them kind of roll with the punches that reality has kind of dealt. I don't know. I don't know that they know. Um, but, but also look, it's, it's Feige's machine, man. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out and it'll be great. Joe, Alec, are you surprised that Wong and Dr. Strange are at the top there or? On the Wong point, I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm surprised, but more delighted. Uh, that's just wonderful. (laughs) I mean, it's Benedict Wong is great. And that's, that character is kind of a blank slate. I mean, it's, it's at best a very uncomfortable character. You know, he's literally a manservant (laughs) initially. And uh, what Benedict Wong and the writers have been able to do is really flesh out this character and make him something absolutely wonderful. So I don't know that that character has the strength to carry the MCU in the way that, um, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. did, but gosh, I hope they give him a shot. I think that's great. The the Doctor Strange, I just, I I, I don't love <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch's <laughs> take. Uh, I think he's just he's kind of a dull character. Uh, you know, I was very up on Multiverse of Madness because that was very Sam Raimi and that was cool, but I don't know, I don't know that I want to see him take that central role. Lee comments that Wong is the new Stan Lee, going to cameo in everything. And I <laughs> respectfully disagree. He's the new, even though Nick Fury is still around, he's the new Nick Fury. I don't know if this is controversial or not, but he's like already way cooler than Nick Fury was, despite being played by one of the coolest men alive. Uh, I'm actually not surprised by the Wong result because it almost hit, like Wong as a character, and even as a concept, kind of hits almost like a sweet spot between meme and sincerity. We're like, I'm sure like some people were may have been voting tongue in cheek of just like, you know, this like recurring background character who always pops up. 
And some people may have been voting in all sincerity because Wong is awesome. He's the Sorcerer Supreme, basically like the co-lead of Multiverse of Madness. And when he, him popping up at the, the Shang-Chi um, post credit scene is really like phase four's version of the Iron Man post credit scene with Nick Fury. So there is, he really, he hits a sweet spot between like legitimately great and like kind of fun to mean. Um, so I'm like not surprised that he is seen as the face of the MCU. And I know I'm sure Feige doesn't agree and nobody at Marvel would agree, but like I'm perfectly comfortable with Ma- with Wong being the MCU guy right now. The thing is they, they listen though. They listen and they adapt. I mean, I think that's kind of what sets them apart as a studio. They're very responsive, I think. And, and, and you know, I mean, not slavishly, but I do think that they pay attention and they do monitor this stuff. Um, so I think that's something to to sort of keep your integrate. By the way, sorry, just apropos of nothing, um, can uh, you, you may be way ahead of me on this. Can I very briefly blow your minds about Benedict Cumberbatch's performance as Doctor Strange? Oh, please. Please, please do. A, fr- a friend of mine pointed this out. This this might have been, look, I mean, I'm old. This might have been on the internet for ages. But a friend of mine said to me a while ago, he said, something about his performance is really familiar and I've never been able to put my finger on it. And he said, today I've figured it out. Said, what is it? He goes, house. <laughs> right? Right? Right. There is a little bit of uh, yeah. a Hugh Laurie house in it. Yeah, yeah. I actually really? recently rewatched all of House, so it's fresh <laughs> in my mind. I don't know how I got through that many episodes in a row. <laughs> like, you, uh, if you ever have Ram V on the show, or if you've had Ram V on the show, like he 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 genuinely thinks it's a perfect, a perfect example of modular storytelling. Like he absolutely mm. like worships it. Uh, I, I don't think we could say he's wrong. Uh, why did it take bringing the uh, the comic writer on to finally get a good TV take? <laughs> <laughs> it's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, okay, we yeah, can't so talk about this. Famously, we don't watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> we can't talk about this for the whole show, even though I kind of want to, because we're starting to, uh, yeah. Um, time will not wait for us, though. So just a quick reminder for everyone, we're talking spoilers all the way through the rest of this episode. So if you haven't watched this week's She-Hulk yet, or Daredevil, you might want to do that before you continue watching. Now, we got a lot of correspondence after SDCC asking why we didn't do a whole show tackling Marvel's big reveals. If you tuned in last week, you may already know the answer, but we simply did not have time as there was so much to do for the site over that weekend. But in the following days, we landed upon a more interesting idea, What if instead of reeling through all those big reveals and spending a few minutes on each one, we gave them way more breathing room and let multiple guests give us their unique input. So for this season of Standom, along with each episode of She-Hulk, we'll be chatting about one of those SDCC reveals in depth with our guests. And that starts right now. So reports had been rampant for months, but at SDCC, Feige announced that Daredevil will return, this time on Disney Plus in a whopping 18-episode season called Daredevil Born Again, which delighted pretty much everyone, I think. But what does a season of Daredevil even look like on Disney Plus? Once again, I have to admit, I still haven't watched the third season of the Netflix show. For everyone else who didn't make it to season three, Joe, how did it end and what do we need to know? 
Oh, so I want to be clear to our listeners that I didn't find out that I was recapping season three until like <laughs> 10 minutes before this we went on. And while I like season three a lot, I watched it in 2018 when it came out. So I, I'm going to be, I, I've got Wikipedia pulled up here to remind me, but essentially this season three takes place right after um uh defenders and when you think that daredevil may have died he's in a collapsed building uh he resurfaces in episode one uh in the uh catholic convent where he was raised and uh he's being cared for by sister maggie who is his mother we discover who slowly nurses him back to health and back into his world. At the same time, the Kingpin is in uh, FBI custody and is doing Kingpinny things to manipulate various actors, most notably a, uh, uh, a FBI agent who is just called Dez, but is essentially bullseye, uh, complete with the bloodthirstiness uh, and the ability to hit very small targets in a much more subdued format than, say, Colin Farrell's in the movie. Uh, by the end of that season, that's what we're going to get, um, the uh, Matt and Foggy and Karen reunite. They go together on their... Um, to a, a new, if I remember correctly, they're going to launch a new uh, legal firm. Uh, Vanessa has turned, Vanessa, the Kingpin's wife, has turned against Fisk and uh, uh, Dex, rather, not Des. Dex, who has broken his spine, as happens to, to uh, Bullseye in the comics, begins to get it fixed. And that's where we leave, basically, um, those characters at the end of season three, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be in the comments if I've forgotten something. Uh, uh, thank you, Joe. Um, that's really helpful because, yeah, I never got to season three. And I don't think Alec watched season three either, as far as I know. Oh, you can um, never tap the TV editor name thing. <laughs> TV. Like, I don't watch TV. I just respect it. <laughs> Okay, well, we've heard this will be a direct sequel to the Echo, Echo spin-off show. So you'd imagine Alacqua Cox will join Charlie and that Vincent D'Onofrio will, of course, return as Kingpin. But other details are pretty thin on the ground at the moment. Um, what will the story be here? Joe, I know you wrote all about Born Again for Den of Geek. Um, Alex, I'm sure you know everything about these comics because you're a huge daredevil fan um what might we expect from this story because i thought that perhaps the netflix show had done a bit of this in season two so i'm a little bit confused yeah it covers a lot of of born again in season three and then uh parts of it in jessica jones season one uh nuke who is this uh Vietnam version of Captain America, a guy with, he's got the, the American flag tattooed on his face and he's talking a lot about our boys, uh, appears as a cop in the first season of J Jessica Jones, which is a good modern updating of that character. Um, and, and yeah, uh, uh, Born Again has a lot of the elements that are in uh, uh, season three. It's, it's essentially, um, except for one crucial thing, which I'll touch on here in a second, but Born Again follows Kingpin tearing apart Murdoch's life. He finds out who that Daredevil's Matt Murdoch and then systematically um, 
you know, uh, he gets him disbarred, uh, gets him framed, uh, sends him out on the streets where he starts getting paranoid. Also, uh, Matt's girlfriend dumps him and starts dating Foggy, which doesn't seem so much like a kingpin thing as much as I think it's probably a lot to date Matt Murdock and probably <laughs> Foggy is the better choice between the two of them. But all of that happens and it's just it's it's kingpin tearing uh, Daredevil all the way down to the ground and eventually comes back up. It's it's I Alex, you can probably correct me on this, but I feel like every person who picks up Daredevil after that, except for like, say, Mark Wade or somebody that's taken a different direction, feels the weight of Born Again. It feels like that's the story that a lot of people are chasing with that character, um, including the writers of the, the Daredevil TV show thus far. So I'm not sure where they're going to go with this new season. It's interesting. I mean, like the the choice of, because obviously, like, I mean, I think one, one thing as well to remember is that, you know, Marvel are kind of, notoriously puckish um so the title may well be um a faint um i wouldn't put that past them at all but certainly i mean that was that was really going to be sort of my my contribution to this was i was a bit confused really because they've sort of parceled out an awful lot of born again through the various kind of low era um uh mc uh, mcu shows um, so I was kind of wondering, well, what can they do with that? And, and, and also, I mean, the, the sort of the, the, the big sort of inciting event, right. In, in born again is that, you know, yeah. Um, Kingpin, Kingpin finds out who daredevil is because I mean, it's rough, you know, because basically because someone gives it up, I won't give if someone gives it up basically for like drug money effectively uh, i don't i don't see how that's going to play tonally in the mcu now that these things have been you know properly kind of brought under the umbrella i mean with the fact that this is hot following hot on hot you know hotly on the footsteps of echo i would assume means that this is going to be a soft reboot which is probably more what the title refers to because if they if there's I, I don't see a way that they can kind of preserve the tone of the show i mean obviously like like i mean a friend pointed out the other day well they're doing Deadpool three, so why not? You know, Deadpool three presumably is going to be full of full of all sorts of juicy effing and jeffing. Um, but I don't see, yeah. So a, a lot of born agains on the screen now, and b, um, I, I just don't see how it could work tonally. I, I don't see how that you could have that in the same in the same universe as Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't see how that works. What do you personally want to see? from a new season of daredevil that that we haven't seen so far well i think joe kind of pointed it out actually i mean i was thinking about the the, the possibilities here weirdly I, I and you know the the, the sort of the, the the wade rivera stuff i mean i'd love to see that i'd love to see that i'd love to see a um you know uh, a, a joyous technicolor oversaturated daytime daredevil that's just fun i'd love to see that why not the you know the the point about these characters is they're kind of endlessly plastic so why not you know um i loved the grim iteration man like you know that 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 corridor scene in season one yep i mean i was in nerd heaven but why not and why not use the same actors that's great you know i mean i think they kind of a 
you know, I mean, Kirsty, you and I have spoke to, we've spoken about, you know, Hawkeye before, but you know, the, the, the version of Kingpin that they kind of brought out for that. Great. Why not? Just this sort of superhuman unstoppable tank who, you know, three years ago was killing someone in the face with a car door. Why not? (laughs) Why not? It's great. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Alec. What do you make of it all? Do you care about Daredevil at all? Or, I mean, are you open? Will you watch it? Should, not just for Marvel standing, but for fun? <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be called on. <laughs> um, <laughs> so You're not escaping that easy, Alec. You know, if it weren't for Marvel Standom, I'm not sure I would watch it just because I actually I really enjoyed the first season and a half of Daredevil that I watched. But going back to the well doesn't seem like it's the most essential thing in the world. However, I am I will obviously be watching it uh, for, for purposes of this show. But also I could see the appeal just from how will things change now that he's in the MCU proper. Um and I agree with you guys about the title, uh, particularly Alex. I, I, particularly if they've done a lot of bits and pieces of the Born Again comic arc uh, throughout Daredevil already, I think the title's just a title. I mean, like Daredevil Born Again is the kind of title you would give this show, if even if there were no comic arc with the same name. Just because it's yeah. like he's literally born again because he's back on a new network and like we're bringing Charlie back. And also the character is highly religious. So like born again is just like too perfect not to use. Um, I think if anything, they might be annoyed that it just happens to share a title with an iconic comic arc. I mean, I, I do wonder whether, cause you know, from what we've seen in the sort of She-Hulk trailers, you know, we, it looks like we're going to be getting the, the yellow and red costume, which, you know, I wonder whether that's a real sort of declaration of intent, you know? That, I, I do wonder whether that's a kind of okay. It's not what this. You know, we're going to lighten this up a bit. Yeah, perhaps it is just a fun title, and you know, we've already seen them change the name of Agatha's show uh, recently. So it's you know, they could easily change the name if they wanted to, and it's just just fun for now. You know, Daredevil, um, cheer up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, He's hoping it's a great return to the character for Charlie. He really did seem to love playing Matt, and this must have been wonderful news when it finally happened. But what once they, again, like, just out of it, oh, sorry, has anyone heard, like is Deborah Ann Wall going to be in it? Do we know? Is that I haven't heard anything, but I would right. be surprised if she wasn't. Uh, yeah, I really, I, like, I really hope so because I mean, there, there seems to be a bit of been announced about everyone else, but like, they were all so good in that show. Like, I hope I hope they bring everyone back. You know. Yes, we do have to move. Sorry, sorry, we do have to move on this time to this week's episode of She Hulk. Um, this is the part where I run down the episodes, so prepare yourselves. In She Hulk episode two, Jennifer Walters is promptly fired by her boss for being a distraction as her new superheroic self, and then hired by the firm she opposed during her Hulk out in court. 
JLKH wants She-Hulk as the face of their new superhuman law division. And her first potential client is Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination, who says he has turned over a new leaf. Jen takes the case, but Blonsky escapes from prison to take part in an underground fight club match against Wong, which we saw happen in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings last year. I'm going to talk to you now about how you felt about this one. And I'm going to start with Alec, who has been absolutely honest that he he really does enjoy the show and has enjoyed a lot of the episodes that weren't the premiere. So tell us why this is this is a good episode, Alec. Well, I want to make it clear that like I'm not doing a bit. Like I actually do like it. Like, I, it might I didn't suggest like, you were. I believe you. I, I I know I am. I can frequently be a bit trolly, but I actually do like. I enjoyed this show, and I enjoyed this episode even more than the first one, which is the weakest of the bunch that we saw. Was the first one by far. I still like episode two. I rewatched it this morning, just even with an eye to, towards being more critical, um, since. Everyone else in my life loathes it so much. All I see is just another charming half hour of television. I think the, one of the issues that a lot of people have with the, the MCU overall is kind of its jokey, irreverent tone. And I get that for a lot of the MCU movies because that tone is usually accompanying um, like some really dramatic, dramatic things like, you know, it's one thing to say, like, he's right behind me, isn't it? <laughs> isn't he? Like, uh, when the universe is at stake. But the universe isn't at stake in the show. She, it's a legal procedural. She's doing legal things. Um, and somehow I I just find it funny. I thought this episode was funny again. Do you look like that? <laughs> we're we're going to be mad at you or something about I know, this. I'm like, I'm like You're terrified. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Please just don't yell. <laughs> Um, Alex, what did you think about episode two and, and the show so far, actually, how have you found it? Uh, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, I, I really like it. Um, I mean, I know, um, it's probably a bit heavy handed, I guess, but you know, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're, these aren't Vin Vendor's movies. Um, but I think it's interesting how she, you know, the, the way they're kind of depicting her sort of navigating, um, her own profession as this thing and the way they're sort of relentlessly sort of like layering kind of, um, metaphor and metaphor and metaphor, you know? So, um, like last, last, you know, the last episode was this idea that, you know, um, you know, the fact that she doesn't kind of lose, she doesn't, she doesn't lose control because, you know, there's this, you know, prevailing assumption that women are kind of intrinsically better at managing their emotions because they have to be. Um, and this episode seemed to be more about, they were sort of positioning it as sort of roughly analogous to like, you know, she gets to head up this superhuman division, but they're treating her as though it's like a sort of superhero equivalent of like a diversity hire. And I just, I, I know, I thought that was really interesting. And, and like the fact that like, you know, um, they will, they will, they will only allow her to take cases as, as Hulk. And I, and like, I, I was watching it. Um, you know, I, was, I was watching it with my wife and she said, well, yeah, like particularly in this episode, she's only taken seriously when she reveals more flesh. So she'll sort of scale up and there's, you know, more ankle, you know, more whatever. Um, 
I don't know. I think it, it, I think it's it's very interesting how it's sort of navigating those very sort of real world issues, and you know what it takes for people to be sort of taken seriously in various professions, and just sort of yeah, relentlessly sort of you know uh, throwing that into the sort of the MCU mix. Like I, I I love it, and 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 the tone of it I think as well is. It, I mean, sorry to kind of I'll, I'll, I'll brief let me be, but it I think that's. The the recipe, the Marvel recipe, I guess. Uh, I was I was talking about this with a friend a while ago. Is is always, but superheroes. It seems to me, you know, in the early two thousand superhero movies, they very much took superheroes on their own terms. Uh, but the MCU has always been um, uh, tech industrialist, but superheroes, right? Um, Star Wars, but superheroes. It's always but superheroes, and this is legal procedural slash flea bag. But superheroes. Um, Joe, what did you think of this one? I sense there aren't as many enthusiastic words coming in the next no, few moments. No, I don't. I don't hate this show. Like I'm never as mad as say like Mike was at at uh, Moon Knight or anything like that. I don't hate it. It is charming, and I find my there are always parts that I appreciate. I mean, even in the writing. So uh, apropos of what Alex was talking about, there's a really, I thought, well-observed scene where Jen's boss, her first boss, goes to tell her that she's fired. And he's, he initially starts talking to her as She-Hulk. And you can see he's uncomfortable looking up at her and sort of intimidated. And he asks her to, to power down so he can, you know, maintain power. I thought that was really, really well-observed, well-acted, well-crafted. But for every one of those moments, I feel like there's three or four simply obvious jokes, you know, that that it just it feels like a, a placeholder sort of thing. Like, I think Ginger Gonzaga is really charming as as uh, her best friend, Nikki. But what is that character doing other than best friend hype woman, you know, or I'm never going to complain about seeing cousin Larry Appleton uh, from Perfect Strangers show up. But, you know, uh, Jen's family are (laughs) are just like your stock family, like immediately her mom is you're putting on weight and you got to get a date, you know, or and then there's the obvious doofy. doofy cousin who gets all the praise for doing one-tenth of what she does like i know these things and this is where i'm i'm on feel free to roast me for this everybody who's hearing it because yes i am 100 a cis man with no lived experience of what it's like to be a woman it's just it feels I believe these things are, are exist and they deserve to be talked about, uh, even in a superhero comedy. But it just it, it feels like it's jumping always to the most obvious thing. Not always, but too often to the most obvious thing. And I feel wanting. Like, can we slightly spice that up to make it feel a little bit more precise, or just not something that we've seen a hundred times before? I, I, again, I don't hate it. It's just kind of. Uh... I hear you. I've heard I've heard some um, much smarter people than I have already, you know, examined this show and and its feminism and and stuff. And, and I'm not talking about the guys who are making ten YouTube videos a day about the MCU, <laughs> obviously, but like actual, you know, genuinely uh, intelligent people who who 
you know, have studied this stuff, um, you know, centuries worth of feminine feminism or whatever. And, and I just, I like, well, this is just kind of pop white woman, pop feminism that hasn't got enough depth to be anything other than kind of vacuous or whatever. And, you know, at worst is, is kind of harmful and I can hear, I hear what they're saying. Um, so yeah, sometimes the, the, the show has been a bit too much on the fluffy side for me. Um, that's just not really going to the extent that it, it needs to, to round out the characters and the story yet, but we've still got, um, seven episodes to go you know it it might not be able to give us everything that we need or want right away um but because we're reacting to it weekly you know almost immediately sometimes yeah these things can feel like bigger issues than they are by the time we get to the end so i'm certainly um excited to see what happens next um talking of excitement are we are we excited to see Abomination and Tim Roth as an, an abomination? As abomination, like, were we missing him? Were we curious about what happened to him after Incredible Hulk? Um, is he a delight here, Alec? Your thoughts, please. I was missing him. Uh, maybe not Abominations, even though he got um, the as we saw in Shang Chi, Abomination got his comic necessary upgrades. Um, but I've been missing uh, Tim Roth and Emil Blonsky more so than him. I feel like I've made it clear, or a lot of us have made it clear, that we generally are fans when, like, the MCU crawls up its own butt a lot. And I I like when it's doing that here. I like when it brings back kind of these lesser-known or obscure came, uh, characters for just a couple of brief guest appearances, particularly when it's delving into something that is, if not a complex issue, at least a somewhat interesting one for the MCU. Because, I mean, like, Emil Blonsky has a point here. He's like, what did I do that was so different from your Hulk? Like, I, I was just the wrong Hulk. Like, I mean, look, yes, I killed a handful of people. What of it? Like, there's been a lot of collateral damage around here from the Avengers. <laughs> you guys accidentally killed half of all life in the universe. Like, you brought it back, but... You still got a second chance and I didn't. Um, it's not like a riveting philosophical question, but it is fun to see the MCU just kind of bring back old faces to interrogate itself a little bit here and there. I was happy to see him come back. Alex, are you an Abomination fan? Are you a Tim Roth fan? Both. A uh, huge Abomination fan. I genuinely, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I, I have a picture in my back pocket, but I, I, I see him as a really tragic character and i think i was just colored by this there was a there was a peter david dale keown issue that that i just absolutely love where you've got this sort of tiny miniature hulk who is pretending to be the voice of god sitting on abomination's shoulder basically it, it, it's it's um it's it's um emil as the phantom of the opera kind of spying you know uh he's sort of spying on his on his ex-wife just uh it's it's incredible but i see him as a very tragic character so it's 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 interesting sort of seeing him in that more sort of, yeah, you know, there's more sort of quippy kind of MCU sort of mode. Um, but it, it's a real, it's, it's weird. Cause I mean, I love Tim Roth and again, I mean, it's the MCU, it's endlessly plastic, so I can buy it, but there's like, there's a real sort of tonal whiplash. Cause I mean, in the, in the incredible Hulk, the really kind of dark character who kind of goes around like murdering quite a lot of people. And there's some sort of some real kind of body horror going on. Um, 
and he's playing it for laughs and it's great and it's Tim Roth and he can pull it off. You know, he's one of our great actors. I'm interested to sort of see where it goes, but there was a kind of moment of, oh, wow, like it's, it's a, basically it's a new character, which again, they're like, you know, it's like they're licensed to do. I mean, that was what, for, gosh, 14 years ago now? They can do whatever they want. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was weird for a second there. There was, there was, there was some kind of tonal whiplash just going, yeah, okay. They've basically, you know, the same events have happened, but they basically rethought the character from the ground up. And now he wears Crocs. Yeah. Uh, so he's clearly a villain. <laughs> a fr- uh, uh, someone, uh, someone referred to them as, uh, was it uh, Yeezys for airplanes? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this episode, we got some pretty well, one pretty big MCU Easter egg, right? Um, I think at some point, um, She-Hulk, oh, sorry, Jennifer is looking at her laptop and you can see some news on the, uh, on the side of the screen there. And it, and it kind of indicates that Wolverine is already in the MCU. I did not catch this uh, the first time I watched it, but I did see it on Twitter. Is that is that a good enough introduction for Wolverine in the MCU, or is this in fact Joe's favorite character, Cyber, that they're referencing? Here? It is Cyber. A touch of Cyber. <laughs> <laughs> That's what. Do you want to see that man in live action? It's amazing. I mean, of course. I dream about it every night, Joe. You know that. Also on uh, Jen's lock screen, she has uh, Steve Rogers's ass. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Well, that's Beautiful what I page. dream about every night. Well, you're dreaming <laughs> about cyber. <laughs> um, there's only one thing really that I wanted to talk about um, extra on this episode was the, I know we talked last week about how they reordered these episodes so that last week's episode used to be episode eight, the penultimate episode, but they brought it forward because they weren't sure people would wait for She-Hulk's origin story. Um, as a result, uh, Titania kind of disappears here um, after making a, a big entrance. I'm not sure whether we're leaning too much into spoiler territory, but she doesn't really pop up again for a while in what we've seen. Um, did it bother you at all that she that she was sort of introduced in that courtroom battle and then sort of rushed aside and we carried on with the show, or did you not really mind? It was fine. That happens in comics all the time. A character pops up and then we don't see them for, you know, <laughs> another year. That's cool. Didn't bother me at all. It might it might be a stretch to say that I was bothered by it, but I do, like I said last week, I maintain that that was not the correct choice to, to reorder the episodes. Um, one thing I did like, though, is that when they talk about her in this episode at the very beginning, like super influencer Titania causes panic. I'm pretty sure that they say um, that she was fleeing from traffic court. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> when she busts through the wall like Kool-Aid man, and, like almost <laughs> kills four jurors. It's because that she just wanted to get out of a ticket. You know, I think it might be time to wrap things time to wrap things up like I don't want to keep everyone and we did run over last week and Andrew was very strict with me before we began the show that we had to keep things on time so Alex where can everyone find you if they want to follow your work like on social media and are there any new upcoming projects that you can tell us a little bit more about 
Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, uh, there's there, uh, at, you can see and an Alex Packnadel. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's a lot of non-comic stuff, uh, which I probably shouldn't do. Uh, I'll, I'll clean it up. I promise. I'll clean it up. Um, it's fine. Uh, and in terms of what I've got upcoming, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we're only on issue two at the moment of DC versus vampires all out war. That's a lot of fun. The brief was basically just sort of, it, it's just kind of DC ultra violence in a sort of elseworld setting. So I just get to kind of kill everybody. So all of your faves are going to die at my hands. So that's great. <laughs> I can't really talk about the Marvel stuff. Um, I do have, uh, there's something very exciting. I'm in a, I'm in a, a writer's studio uh, with Ryan O'Sullivan, Dan Waters and Ram V. Um, and um, the uh, DC have uh, deigned to put three of us together. So um, there's an upcoming uh, one shot uh, as part of Dark, Dark Crisis called Deadly Green. All three of us are writing. Uh, three of us are writing it. So it's uh, uh, Ram, Dan, and myself, uh, and Josh Williamson. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's sort of all of us doing a kind of Swamp Thing story with some sort of uh, Justice League Dark uh, members. Uh, so that's very exciting. It's it's the first time we've sort of all worked together. Um, so yeah, that's that that I think that's out in November. So that should be pretty. That should be that should be pretty cool. Um, and like all the all the crap bits that I've done, Ram's rewritten, so it'll be <laughs> it'll be a smooth ride, I promise. Well, thanks for joining us, Alex, once again. I really thanks appreciate you me. taking the time out. Um, Alec, Joe, I'll see you in like 10 minutes, I guess. Um, that's it for this week's Marvel Standom. Thank you all for watching and putting up with me while Mike's away. He will be back next week, I promise. Um, make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home of denofgeeks.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. We're at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. If you came in late, you'll be able to watch this entire episode on denofgeek.com or at our YouTube home, Den of Geek US. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our special guests and thanks to Andrew Halley, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. Thanks to Den of Geek social media coordinator, Lee Parham, for keeping everyone in line in the comments. Go follow our TikTok, Den of Geek TV, where Lee is doing great work. Special shout out to Michael R for making the podcast version of this show all it can be. And most of all, thank you for watching, listening, following, and most importantly, subscribing, please please press the subscribe button. It really helps us uh, to continue doing this show and working on this show and making it better every week. Uh, this has been Marvel Standom on the Den of Geek Network. Until next time, please be good to each other and stay safe. <laughs>